Good evening and welcome to Screen Tone Club, episode 34. We are recording on the 30th of September 2019 and for release on the 1st of October 2019. For the first time in the history of the podcast, we are now both north of the border and so this is now being renamed Scotch Tone Club. Insert bagpipe music here. So yes, we've both moved north of the border due to jobs, frankly, um, but we're coming to you live to talk about manga and not square sausages, question mark. <laughs> they're, they're everywhere. They're everywhere, Andy. It's, it's so many. It's scary. Like, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not quite sure the, the, why the fascination with differing shapes of sausage. Because I, I, I've come to learn that that every shape of sausage is a good sausage. So you know, it's it's all fine with me. I think it's mostly an excuse to like give you more sausages rather than other expensive things in a breakfast plate. Um, so they can be like, here's a round sausage and a square one. Check it out. It's different. It's more stuff. And it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> where's the bacon? Um, but yeah, so we're both now for the border. We're recording this. I'm on a very bodged together setup. So let's get on with it before my internet collapses. Um, so first and foremost, this is your manga podcast for the fortnight. Um, I did introduce you, Andy, didn't I? Um, I, I, I don't think I don't think you did, but pe- people probably know who I am by this point. So. Okay, no, it's I should fine. do this properly. Um, my name is Elliot Page, again, now north of the border, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Mr. Andy Hanley. How are you doing, Andy? Yes, I'm. I'm doing very well. I, I guess th- this is this is where we we stake out our independence as a podcast or something. <laughs> Some, yeah, I, I woof, yeah, I'm not going to go anywhere near that, frankly. <laughs> um, so, um, if you like our podcast and want want us to remain free and independent and completely nutly free of um, weird advertising for bedspreads, um, please have a look at our Patreon. We have a Patreon where, from this princely sum of one dollar a month, you get bonus episodes. And our upcoming bonus episode, which we're recording shortly, will be on the girl from the other side, which I'm quite looking forward to discussing because I think there's quite a bit to get into there. And you'll also get access to all our previous bonus episodes, including such hot bangers as Golden Camoey and landed illustrious so um also a quick note on the patreon front is um, a big shout out to rob jessup who still continues to support us at the tip top tier we have thank you ever so much rob you are keeping the lights on quite literally um and so moving on to the first part of our show is returning champions so we've got some returning champions here one from andy one from myself um i'm very curious about yours andy because i have bought this but have not had time to read it with the whole moving house and life thing so take it away if you please yeah so uh so yeah over the weekend i managed to catch up with uh, our dreams at dusk um, we previously covered the first volume on the show and then kind of did a bit of a returning champions bit on volume two. Um, as we mentioned then, like it's only a four volume series, so we're kind of like at the penultimate volume with volume three. Um, and yeah, like much like the first two volumes, it is just really, really good. Um, it's kind of it does some interesting things because i mean the the main kind of thrust of the volume i guess there are a couple of main thrusts like one of which is uh basically a, a whole kind of story arc revolving around a transgender character which is really interesting in its own right because it doesn't go down kind of the the typical route of so many of these kind of stories where it's just like oh you know here's how this character was bullied as a kid and like all their hardships and you know, here's what they had to grow up through to get to where they are now. Like, actually, this character was, you know, actually pretty popular at school and, like, didn't really have any major problems. Um, and uh, kind of the, the main thrust of the story is actually kind of a former classmate who sort of stumbles across this person as just like, oh, wait, I know you from school, right? Um, and he's like, yeah, yeah, you do. Kind of expecting the worst. And it sort of it actually makes an interesting counterpoint to, to volume two, which was kind of you know a lot of it was about Tasuki kind of you know trying to to actually help somebody out with their own problems and kind of flubbing it in the end. And it's kind of it it really kind of gives Tasuki kind of a viewpoint of what he did through the lens of what somebody else is doing because kind of this, this uh, sort of old friend of, of the, the character in question is kind of trying their best to be kind of like helpful and understanding and kind of supportive and sort of trying to be an ally I guess is, is kind of the, the phrase that you'd use and kind of become so overbearing in doing that that, that they actually kind of become a negative influence on the person's life to, to the mm. point where they basically have to say like look please stop like I've got a handle on who I am and what I'm doing and I totally appreciate where you're coming from and kind of like what your point of view on all of this stuff is but I, I don't need this like I'm 
I am okay with making these decisions for myself and, you know, please butt out, basically. Um, And it kind of gives Tessaku kind of a, a viewpoint of the the events of volume two where you know he gets kind of too intricately involved in somebody else's problems and gets to the point where like he thinks he knows best and kind of you know he's kind of sees that same blowback from from another point of view and kind of realizes like okay i kind of understand where i went wrong now and you know actually kind of learn something valuable from it which is is quite kind of satisfying in its in its own right um, and the other thing that this volume does is, of course, finally it kind of delves into uh, to Tasuku's crush, Sabaki. Uh, those two characters get to spend a lot more time together. And we kind of, you know, get to see various kind of facets of, of Sabaki's character, who clearly has, you know, baggage of his own um, around, you know, his, his own kind of worldview which it seems is probably at least partly shaped by his family and so on and so forth and that that does again some some really great stuff there are some fantastic uh visual allegories like much like previous volumes you know yeah, there's, there's as, some... as again as again like before i suppose yeah yeah like there are some really fantastic kind of single and two page spreads and kind of like bits of imagery that really kind of hammer home sort of the emotional state of, of characters at that moment in time and kind of you know it, it's a really good way of sort of reframing the discussion not just via kind of the words that are spoken by these characters but also kind of you know via this sort of slightly kind of off kilter kind of take on it um and so a lot of that stuff like none of that really gets resolved per se um like so that's clearly i imagine going to be the thrust of the final volume is finally kind of you know getting to the bottom of of kind of sabaki's character and whether he can kind of make some progress and some growth in in his own way because like clearly he he has some things that he needs to deal with that that come to the forefront very much in this this third volume but uh, overall yeah like it's if you liked the first two volumes this is this is also great like it does a lot of really good stuff and uh, i'm very keen to to grab that final volume when it comes out and kind of see how it all closes off yeah totally that sounds well it sounds exactly what i want out of that series which was already very good and giving me exactly what i wanted to see and hearing about like having a transgender character who isn't like transgender introduction 101 all over again is nice it's nice that you know, we we're getting to the point of maturity where these sort of more in depth, more earnest narratives, rather than you know, it's like you know the the tragic lesbian story one hundred and one, the tragic transgender story one hundred and one. It's like yo, you can totally let gay people be happy too, or people of any persuasion be happy too. You know, they they have more stories to tell, and hearing that it does the visual panache. Um, like the, the some of the flair shown in volume one I still think about quite frankly like when you see um, Tasaku's like heart like chest exploding I still think about that panel quite a lot because it works yeah. so well like it's such a good panel because even though you know that's what's happening before it when you get to that page it's just really impactful of just blam (laughs) sorry but yeah it is this crazy really impactful thing and it's totally appropriate like it's not lurid it's not stupid and to hear that it continues into volume three like i say i've got it downloaded already and if i can keep my eyes open this evening i'll try and make that my bedtime reading because it sounds real good yeah yeah for sure like the, the other interesting thing kind of visually that this that this volume adds in a couple of places is there are a couple of moments where there's kind of like things come to a head and somebody kind of has an outburst or kind of a moment of just like, okay, I've, I've had enough of this shit. Like I'm going to say something slash do something. And in both of those occasions, like the, the kind of paneling and the, the layout and the way those panels are framed is really smart because you don't know who is having that outburst initially and then it's a couple of panels later where you kind of get the drop of like oh that's the character that got pissed off at this moment and like it's not always who you expect um so it does some really interesting stuff with that where you know you kind of it's like kind of watching the the kettle boil and it's kind of reaching its boiling point and you're just like okay this is going to spill over at some point but then the actual kind of spillage comes from like an unexpected source and it's just again just a really smart use of the visuals to kind of a sort of play into your own prejudices as the reader of like oh like I know which character is going to be the one to blow up at this and then be like and no actually like you know 
there's there's more complexity to this than than you're actually kind of than than you actually know and kind of here's the deal with it and it's just like little moments like that again that you know they're, they're not kind of the things that make the difference between this being like okay and good like you know there's there's far more to it than that but they're just these little moments that kind of elevate it a bit further like much like the kind of visual allegories that take something that's already impactful and kind of give it an extra kind of layer of, of intrigue or emotional resonance yeah, I think especially that's really useful because it the way it you, you you describe it there, it sounds like it's elevating the message and keeping it free of the actual person giving out until it needs to or it knows how to twist. So that sounds fascinating. Um, yeah, I and also and everything about that series exists in this really fascinating state because I'm guessing with volume three, there's no more information on who Miss Nobody is. Um, is no, that, no, like yeah, yeah she she. She she continues to to be an enigma, and and more disappointingly, there's still nothing more about about our good friend Tchaikovsky and what his deal is. But but his his gramophone breaks at, at one point in this volume, which is kind of like heartbreaking. Like oh no, like you've taken away the one thing this guy likes. Well, this, <laughs> thank- the one thing we've seen this guy do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like I, I assumed that was maybe going to be the lead into kind of something about him, but then it's just like by the end of the volume, it's like, nah, got my gramophone back, it's all fixed. This is cool. Let's listen to some Tchaikovsky, and it's like, ah, okay, I guess that's good. Yeah, I get the feeling that almost that Tchaikovsky is almost there just to be some crazy. Some, some, I mean, maybe there'll be something about him in volume four, but I mean, I'd like something about him. But at the same time, you could he could just be a quiet anchor, um, which you know he's doing his own thing. Um, but yeah, well, I don't know. I, I at this point, I trust the author completely. So you know, again, like I feel like I'm saying this a lot about series recently, um, but the fact it's a four volume compact series really encourages me because I've seen too many things go long and then fall over their face. So whoops, um, this but no, this sounds amazing. So hooray! <laughs> yeah, it's, it continues to be good. So that is uh, good news indeed. Cool. Um, so in um, continues to be good news is my returning champion, um, which is Land of the Lustrous Volume 9. Um, we did a premium episode on Volume 1 of this series. Um, go back to that if you have, uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber to hear me gush about this series. Um, but Volume 9 is like, we've gotten into the pretty intense moments of this series where there's an established cosmology and it's been upended several times and the like phosphophilite um, suffering train continues to barrel past every stop sign that it can see um and frankly just the places this series has gone now in this ninth volume you think by now that it was you know it would be kind of running out of ideas but it's now reached a, a kind of intense fever pitch where it's gone past several breaking points in the storyline of something's got to give and the strife is still ongoing but things have broken and people are now all the characters involved are having to figure out what they're going to do now that things have started to go really to the wall um in a number of really fascinating and kind of heartbreaking ways um like it's now gotten to a point where quite clearly there's going to be no happy there's going to be no perfect ending and god knows what's going to happen or fall out from this it has some really intense character moments um the main thing i'll say about this series in this volume in particular is you know you've got a lot you've had a lot of very sharp distinct line work and off-kilter angles and very intense imagery of gems snapping and shattering and such and this volume has it in kind of upsetting amounts of spades, um, if that makes sense. Where just characters are kind, of, some characters are pushed to the actual limit of their own ability to comprehend. I mean, to use a tired phrase, they cannot even. Um, like some of them are actually almost self-destructing in some manner because they cannot handle what's happening. Um, and some wild stuff happens it's really fascinating and of course the only problem with this is now i've read it i'm jonesing sank theater volume 10 which is already out in japan and of course i can't read a lick of it so i just had to sit on my hands until next year when <laughs> kodansha released volume 10 so good job me yeah happy days i mean i mean talk, talking about kind of the ending like is there any indication of how close it is to an end point or is it still got some way to run do we think there is definitely an end state in sight like it can end at some point like enough questions have now been answered that there is going to have to be some kind of reckoning 
uh, but the questions have changed, and so it could keep going for it could keep going for however long it wants to, really, with just renewing questions. But with the set of problems it has, I think like volume twelve would probably be a nice ending point for it at the moment. Um, it's yeah, it's getting to the point where enough questions as i say enough enough important questions have been answered about how the characters can extricate themselves from this situation that you know there is an end point in sight possibly um, cool yeah but yeah a lot of it is a case of man this is going to be grim so we'll see yeah i mean to be fair like that's uh, and, and i desperately need to kind of catch up because I'm, I'm still only like a few volumes into it but like that is one of the things that i enjoy about that series is that you know it does continue to kind of evolve and take turns and you know as much as i i remember kind of like watching the anime ad- adaptation and kind of being a bit disappointed slash worried when it takes its first big turn from like hey look at foster goofy idiot to like oh things are getting serious here but like i bought so quickly into that when it takes those kind of you know more sinister and darker turns that i i was soon very much on for kind of whatever it was doing i mean again kind of talking about trusting the author at some point like it was definitely one of those series where it got to the point where when when every twist came along it's like no i'm just on board with this like i i trust that this is going to go in an interesting direction and it sounds like it is continuing to do that so yeah on that note um the at this point there is still plenty of phosphophyllite suffering but it's no longer affecting them it but there are definitely like i don't want to obviously i don't want to spoil events but there are a number of really notable betrayals in this volume either of expectation or just characters outright betraying each other either implicitly or feeling it and so volume nine is basically the betrayals volume it's real wild some of the stuff that happens and of course like most of it is utterly guileless which is half the problem is that characters will be like but why did you feel betrayed it's like because you betrayed me you fuck like don't you did a bad thing oh i guess i did shit so yeah you get it's it's but man is it oh it's pretty some stuff happens that definitely made me suck in air through my teeth and go oh god this is bad so yeah we'll see it's there's a lot um, where the volume ends is in a really intense place so have to wait for volume 10 um so moving on to the main part of our show today um is our various picks and mine was the um j novel public j novel club published light novel i saved too many girls and caused the apocalypse um, volume one it's a rather storied sort of light novel series it goes on for 16 volumes and is now in fact all complete and translated if you want to dive in um one of the reasons i picked it is because the first volume was free um to um quote unquote buy and add to your library on Bookwalker. So I figured, eh, you know, let's let's go for it. Um and so announced that. And I we sort of burned through it. It's authored by Nemeko Joroshi, I believe. My screen's a little far away from here. And illustrated by um now Watanuki. Um and it has one of these other slightly annoying things in light novels where it puts all the colour pages at the start, which you can understand why they do it for page count and printing purposes, but it makes it kind of annoying when you see weird spoiler events from the future of the volume right at the start, um, without any context, especially when you're first starting the series. So whoops. But anyway, so um this series, which I'm not going to announce the name of again because it's too long, um, stars Rekka Namidare. I'm probably mispronouncing that, apologies. Um, but he is a very boring dude. He likes a boring life. He wants to be le- kind of left alone. He's not averse to things happening or people doing stuff, but he just wants an easy life. Like he doesn't really want anything special. Um but then on his on the day before his sixteenth birthday, his dad says, Yep. Here, son um you're part of a special bloodline and from you know 16 until 18 loads of wacky ass shit is going to happen to you and that's just the way it goes due to a weird imbalance of the universe you're going to end up being like a protagonist in loads of stories and character events that are just kind of foisted upon you because you're the kind of almost the character of last resort for trials and tribulations and basically light novel plot lines so he is the pitch hitter protagonist in all these storylines that happen and next day 16th birthday he wakes up and a small girl in a in a train hat shows up and she floats about five meters away from him at all times called r and that's her name and she says oh by the way hi i'm from the future check it out i guess you've heard about your bloodline um by the way 
um, you're going to cause a war that's going to destroy all of all of existence um, in a few years. So what I need you to do is in your journey through these different storylines, I need you to nut up and choose a heroine and, you know, get with her and not be a massive milquetoast twit. And so Mecha Namidare then gets himself embroiled in three separate storylines um, with a space alien princess, his childhood friend, who is actually an omniscient mage, and the third one. Oh, he also gets summoned to an alternative um, fantasy world with a demon lord, and the summoner girl who summoned him, um, Harissa, is also under pain of possible death because he's been summoned and not done jack. And so these three stories exist in line. You have um, the space princess who's about to be married to some Vogon-ass slugman thing who wants to blow up the universe. Um, His childhood friend who, again, has that special magic. And so a guy called Messiah is chasing after her to snog her and so get her ability because of storyline reasons. There's like a plot dump on literally page one that explains how the magic works, which is probably the, the most sort of clangy part of this volume where it has to basically like info dump you on this storyline when it could probably could have picked another one in fact if one thing about this volume this series does is that it has a bunch of individual um prologues for each character which are a pretty stodgy way of starting the volume off when you just want to get into it um and if anything it's because it's three different very start beginnings of these storylines it's like well can you get on with it and start please rather than giving me three separate parallel info dumps and so basically Rekka um, Rekka Rekka um ends up getting embroiled in these three different things and because he keeps getting pulled from pillar to post these are not um like serially occurring they're parallel like all three storylines start falling over each other you know they start getting intermingled he's pulled from pillar to post quite literally um and he has to try and resolve these sort of um problems and storylines and make sure the world or universe or his childhood friend don't get blown up in the process which he manages to do mostly through um like finagling his way around it because he has absolutely zero special powers of his own although he ends up getting a lot of help gizmos from his various um new harem participants and by the end all three of the heroines are falling over him and he's like oh i don't get it what's the big problem here and he is like you know sort of unobtainium levels of dense when it comes to even having a character who is floating five meters away from him going hey motherfucker pick one of them you idiot and he is not so and that's the end that's where volume one kind of ends um i must admit like that was a bit of a long um description but i quite enjoyed the book um after the initial prologue sort of dump it keeps up a very rapid pace and if anything it moves very swiftly like a to b to c to d to a to b to c to d and it kind of bam 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 just gets through everything at a pace which is quite refreshing um the book itself on my e-reader came out to about 150 pages which is kind of just the right length so it doesn't outstay its welcome and each storyline gets like just enough fleshing out um and all the characters get their own little charming moments to kind of like beguile you but also it then of course takes all three separate storyline strands wraps them up with a bow and even plays with some of your expectations and tropes of the genres that it's mashing together um which you know it makes it kind of a pleasant um you know it both knows what it is and but and plays with that at the same time of like yes this is all light novel schlock but i've got you here and i'm gonna have fun with this so it kind of bursts it kind of bams through all the individual storylines and even from this first volume you look at it and you go well the the amount of girlfriends he ends up with is not stated and there's a quite easy out to most of this so this is quite obviously written from the start to not just be a one volume storyline but something that could go on as long as the author fancies doing it until they want to resolve it and then they can just end it immediately by having him snog someone so that could quite easily solve the problem um but yeah i quite enjoyed it as a result it's it's definitely very um very easy to binge read and just very lightly um just burn your way through especially if you're in transit or on a train you you know you can quite easily open it and just blitz straight through it um but yeah so as a result i quite liked it in the end um you know as schlocky as it was frankly but um so i've talked far too much um so andy what did you think of this thing i forced upon you um yeah i mean it's it's not bad like that's that's for sure you know i mean we're, we're already kind of 
we're almost at that point where kind of the the tale of the worm is, is wrapped around on kind of like parody isekai stories to the points where they're, they're kind of becoming serious again um but like this is kind of an, an entertaining one i mean I, I feel like it has some really great moments kind of it, it's definitely one of those kind of volumes where i find myself kind of reading through it and feeling my interest in it starting to lull and then it kind of drops a moment that's kind of a real banger and kind of like got me engaged again for a while like i mean especially when it comes to kind of wrecker actually having to solve problems like you know there's there's a whole of course there's a whole like defeat the demon lord part in it which is like really fun and smart and actually really well written like that was probably like my highlight of this volume i think especially the after effects of that when he's he's quote unquote done the d but no one believes him yes yeah like all all that stuff plays really well but like even kind of like the act itself is just a a pretty smart kind of like mashing together of of all the kind of you know various things that he's gone through up to that point that has actually just just by happenstance given him exactly what he needs to kind of defeat this demon lord and it's really enjoyably written and it's really kind of sharp and snappy in terms of kind of its dialogue and how the whole thing plays out and like that that was definitely kind of a moment where I'd I'd almost dropped off of it kind of entirely and was just kind of reading through it just because um and then that was like okay like this is now i see what this can do um and it kind of like repeats that trick like at the end of this volume you know kind of there's a a final battle against messiah and like that again is is very similar and it's kind of really satisfying because it just pulls together all of the various ideas into a kind of like almost MacGyver-esque solution to the problem of just like, "Ah, I've got all these weird, like this weird confluence of things going on. I can somehow kind of like jimmy all of this together into an actual way of defeating this, this like powerful foe that otherwise is, is kind of unbeatable. And like those, those moments were really enjoyable to me. Um, I mean, I, I think on kind of the negative side, the biggest problem that this series has is that, is that when you have a milk toast protagonist, they are just a boring protagonist. And I totally get that there's kind of a comedy value to that initially, but when that is still your main character that you're following the entire time, that gets old pretty quickly. Like, I think, I mean, we, we talked about it on a previous show, but kind of one of the smartest things that uh, Do You Love Your Mum and her two-hit multi-target attacks does is that it kind of almost sidelines the protagonist uh, in in you know in preference of his mum and like that's actually like the smartest thing that that series does is it's like yeah here's here's your dull kind of like everyday normal kids but like he's totally gonna get usurped and kind of sidestepped by other characters pretty well, much yeah, every step every, of the way every single other character <laughs> yeah it, exactly and that kind of works whereas here you don't really have that like it's very much kind of like oh wrecker has to kind of resolve all these problems and, and save all these poor heroines who are actually pretty powerful in their own rights but somehow are kind of utterly useless in the specific circumstances they've been dealt and like that that's i think the, the part where i kind of struggled with it because yeah like you say racket is completely kind of clueless as to all the kind of female attention around him and a lot of the time he is just kind of you know waxing and waning of kind of like oh what should I do? You know, I want to save this girl, but I also need to save this girl. And oh no. And it's, you know, that, that stuff didn't really play so well for me. So I, 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 I certainly vacillated on it. Like I feel like my, my overall impression at the end was like, yeah, you know, I, I had a pretty decent time with it, but it, it does, it does drag in, in places simply because it kind of, it leans so hard into kind of the tropes of the genre which it clearly, like, it's doing from a knowing kind of self-aware place, but it doesn't change the fact that those things are still what they are, and it it doesn't really find enough to do with it always to to make that worthwhile. Yeah, I think my point of view, that all the tropey stuff I'm kind of down with, apart from Wrecker himself, like, you've kind of risen up in me, like, the fact that you're entirely correct in that he's a really annoying confluence of irritating protagonist garbage where he he wants a normal life but then he breaks that rule when he does all this stuff but equally like he has been directly told to his face don't be a don't be a bystander to this you're going to cause the war that annihilates existence like the big war you need to actually nut up and pick a heroine and that's kind of all you need to do and then most of this shit will stop 
um, which is the easy outlet valve for the author in case they get told, hey, last volume, we're done with you. Like, so he can quite easily have him snog someone, anyone, and be done with the entire series. Um, but it makes it irritating when he has been told directly by a f- by like someone from the future to his face, "You are going to cause the apocalypse." That's mentioned in the, in the title. You you this is your fault, dude. So it's that's kind of the exhausting part where he's like, "Oh, oh, I I better be careful. So and so might get jealous. Oh, why is so and so jealous?" He vacillates wildly between knowing that he is both doing this stupid harem thing and then being oblivious to the fact that he is the harem protagonist like he he operates both spaces in parallel like almost like newspeak ish where he knows he is the harem protag but then is wondering why everyone's hanging around and it's like motherfucker this is your fault (laughs) so yeah and and it also i think feels like a bit of a a missed opportunity and and this maybe again comes from from something else that we've read previously on this show which was like was it all roots lead to doom blah blah villainess something or other which is it kind of plays with a similar idea of like putting in place kind of a a clueless protagonist who is aware of kind of the circumstances that uh or you know that that is going to lead to their demise and then you know by trying to to work their way out of that problem they create like a million other problems and like that that's a far more interesting kind of use of that setup where you actually take that character and you know play with it in a different way rather than just having the kind of like you know completely clueless even though you've been told like a million times what the the stakes are and what the issue at hand is and yet you still just kind of barrel through not making the choice that would fix all of these problems instantly yeah even when you have said time traveling girl literally floating five meters away from you saying hey motherfucker like it's really wild um, yeah, and, and and let's and let's be honest here. Like floating time traveling girl is also the best girl as well. So the solution to the problem is literally right in front of you. Just hang out with R because she seems kind of cool. I don't know. She kind of rules herself out from the get go, um, which is the weird part when she's like, "Oh, I'm three years old. I was born in a vat," and I'm like, "This is weird." Yeah, um, yeah uh, it's you know, light novels. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so for a peek behind the curtain, I thought, I wonder what volume two will do with this premise because volume two of the light novel is normally the one that lets you know whether it's actually going to be good or if it's going to repeat stuff um and of course the weird thing about this series is that the entire setup is that it's going to repeat with different heroines and different storylines and so you know it kind of has a weird get out clause for the whole oh you're doing the same thing but with the names changed because that's the whole point in raison d'etre it's just that the characters have changed and how it gets merged together at the end is different and so Volume 2, I must admit, is slightly more bearable in that not every character he walks into becomes an immediate part of the harem, um, and the characters themselves are a bit more divergent in their sort of situations. And there's even a really funny bit when he gets turned into a magical girl, so you get to see a full-page um, photo of Rekka as a magical girl, um, which was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, it's the exact, it's the same sort of idea of three more heroines, three more sort of storylines, and one more member of the bowl, I suppose. So volume two continues to be good, um, but it is a sort of thing where I'm reading it going, yeah, I know exactly how this is going to play and the, the setup and the execution, but it's still interesting to see that it's like a very advanced version of Mad Libs, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, 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 that is kind of interesting, because, yeah, like, I mean, again, going back to Do You Love Your Mum, blah, 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 like, having watched the anime adaptation of that, that feels, at least from the adaptation, very much like a series that kind of runs out of steam after its first volume. Like, it has its smart idea, it has its fun with it, but then once you have to kind of recycle and reuse that idea in various different setups, it never quite kind of manages to to recapture that magic like every subsequent arc just feels like a slight kind of downward slope of like yeah you know i've kind of seen this before and yes you're putting a different spin on it but that in itself isn't enough to kind of continue to make this interesting so uh at least it it does sound like it, this series has kind of the potential to to vary things up a bit to at least the point of kind of keeping keeping the the baseline interest yeah i mean the one thing that makes the second volume more interesting is you have both it's not just it like it wipes all the previous characters out like they're still around and they're kind of still kind of putting their elbows in both for good and for ill which makes it interesting although you can imagine that by volume 10 or something there might be way too many (laughs) characters involved so hopefully they winnow them down at some point um 
but yeah i mean it's it's uh, especially for the price of free um it was an enjoyable romp on a train journey um quite easy to blitz through because it's not that long and also the prose is quite unchallenging so it's it was a fun, it was an interesting read like i'm i i must admit having read two volumes now i'm not that keen on picking up the rest of them i mean the fact that there's an actual end point and there is it is finished and fully translated has me slightly interested just because i want to know what happens at the end but i might just ask my um light novel correspondent um to um and patron supporter to ask what happens at the end yeah, it, it, this also feels like it's probably a series where you could actually just read the final volume, and you know, you you you'll kind of be able to fill in the gaps in terms of of what's happened. So, uh, so yeah, that that seems uh, seems fair. Yeah, like I say, you could probably end this in like ten pages if you needed to. Just oh, this happened, right? Done. Bye. <laughs> so, if the gravy train ever, if the wheels ever came off the gravy train, you could totally end it quite quickly. Um, but yeah, that's um, I Save Too Many Girls and Cause the Apocalypse. Um, you can get it both on ebook um, and I believe it's coming to physical books at some point. Um, but you can also read it on J Novel Club, obviously. Um, but yeah, that's um, that. So, Andy, how about your, your um, let's say, very interesting pick for this episode? Yeah, boy, I, I, I picked one, didn't I? <laughs> you sure did. You sure did. I mean, I kind of at least partly knew what I was getting into here. But uh, yeah, so my pick for this show is uh, Super Dimensional Love Gun, which is uh, a, a, an anthology of, of short stories from uh, Shintaro Kago, who is uh, an artist best known for uh, for what is widely termed as Elo Gulo, Gulo rather, which is kind of a, a very much a mix of, of, uh, of sex and, and gr- very gratuitous and gory kind of carving up of bodies etc etc so mm. I, I was kind of i was i was steeled somewhat for for what was to come um but yeah i guess like right off the bat just like content warnings for pretty much anything that anyone might find objectionable like you know this is a series that that features rape sexual assault abortion uh, lots of uh, body horror and as mentioned kind of carving up of bodies etc etc like if you are in in any way kind of not into any of that stuff or kind of you know are uncomfortable with it this is definitely not a a book that you should read um and so yeah it's basically a collection of, of 15 different short stories um by kago and you know that i guess if if you wanted to kind of like pare it down into any one kind of theme it's really kind of uh, effectively about kind of looking at looking at kind of the human body and i guess people's kind of psyche and their their view of the human body and kind of the human form and the, the taking those weird proclivities to their kind of illogical conclusion like a, a lot of the the stories and I, I feel like a lot of the better stories in this collection are very much kind of taking pretty mundane things that are kind of the, the good example that i would i would take that, that's probably kind of one of the the better quote unquote stories here is like you know everybody knows that if you get an itch it feels good when you scratch it oh and god it why did you have to that... exp- talk about that one <laughs> but it like takes that to its very gruesome conclusion of like hey here's something that is pleasurable in a weird way and it just goes like all in on that whole concept and just runs with it to a ridiculous degree mm. and that is kind of like the the template for most of these stories like they take a a pretty simple idea or a topic for discussion and then just goes with it at a million miles an hour until it hits a brick wall and kind of splatters everywhere um and I mean, I find it, I, I guess, like, this book is more interesting from an artistic perspective, in a sense, than it is as a manga. Like, none of the stories here are particularly kind of, you know, interesting in their own right. It's like, there there are one or two that, you know, kind of, like, managed to, to find sort of a, a vein of humour or something along those lines that you can dig into. But, like, I feel like this does feel like you're looking at kind of an art exhibit or art installations and it kind of becomes far more about trying to kind of look at this work and kind of 
ponder what the artist is is saying or kind of you know the thought processes behind it than it is in terms of like oh this is an interesting story because of character x or you know the things that they do like uh, it's it's a strange thing to read because you know it is very clearly you know a, a series of traditional manga stories but unlike kind of other anthologies that we've covered on this show where you know you can talk through each story in turn and say oh you know this is what was good or this was not bad about this like this to me was very much like walking up to a bunch of art exhibits and saying like oh yeah okay like the the artist's intent here is interesting because x or i guess this is commentary on y and you know it's it's a very different kind of thing to look at and I, i found myself kind of reading it almost in a sort of slightly detached way I guess partly because of the content going Mm. in some of the directions that it does but also because of that sense that it's something that's there to be kind of critiqued and analysed rather than something to be kind of enjoyed like I don't know if that's kind of my weird I did an RA level take on it or whether you kind of what what your experience with it was well I got a B GCSE in art um, (laughs) and no I I think I'm I'm with you Um, I'd say that definitely it's the, the purpose of the manga in this volume is not so much to get engaged with the manga but almost to remain above it and to view it as a thought experiment that was the thing that came in my notes multiple times in between the frankly ways of nausea um, don't try a marathon this if you're in any way squeamish and I'm a squeamish person I still have to hide behind the bloody cushion a casualty of all bloody things um, but it's fa- it's it's basically a series of thought experiments and as you say, taking things to the logical extent. And it's like when you have that friend at university who down the pub just takes his ideas too far until you have to basically elbow them and say, hey, knock it off. Um, So like also the other thing is that it always starts from a moderately sort of sensible place. And then even by panel two or three, it's already accelerating out of the blocks. Um, The note I've got in my notes here is it goes from A to D to Z and then into different alphabets and then to like Epsilon or something like it's already off to the races and it's kind of just about taking you with it. And it does feel like a series of almost like art films you might see at an exhibition like in Tate Modern you know you see like oh this is a treatise on telephone wires and it's like oh okay wild but then there is something there if you're willing to both read the actual manga but then also see what it's getting at like there are several like the the if anything the titular superdimensional love gun story is the one that is the most like straightforwardly structured in that it has an actual story arc and then ends in a really weird sort of flat moment of an advert for said superdimensional love gun i feel like the one thing this series the this anthology does in particular is it has a very like po-faced ending to most of the stories or the concepts where it will end usually on like a wry joke or just a case of showing you the logical extension of what it's been talking about like with the itching storyline you mentioned um but yeah as you mentioned like content warning on some of these there was one i think it was uh collection loss um which was the one that heavily features abortion that was kind of the one that actually made me feel quite unwell because it's just you know it's it's almost like the actual use of the phrase just asking questions (laughs) um it's actually just it's thinking about this concept it's set up but it's gone in such a crazy direction um that it then drags in everything else and like i say it's like a constant rolling thought experiment combined with art film which and also the one thing about it is that like Shintaro Kago in general like his art is not like ugly but is very like in fact it's very detailed and very careful with like there's no screen tone it's all line work careful use of shading and tone um and also quite and quite hewing to anatomy um which helps especially when you've got dismembering going on and such like um but Shintaro Kago in particular is very much of uh almost like deadpan style of drawing where it's like oh this character has you know their leg cut off so i better draw that properly and it's like oh you know it gets a it's it kind of avoids the sort of grotesquerie and luridness by being so like flat-faced about the whole thing really yeah yeah like it's very matter of fact and clinical about all of that stuff which yeah. I, I think clinical is, is the word what... you, you got it in one i, I would say definitely. yeah like that that's actually kind of I, I think what what kind of lends that imagery a lot of its power because it's sort of it would be easy to create a version of a lot of these stories that was trying to or that, that was being very avert in saying like hey hey look at the 
the shock value of this or the titillation of it or you know whatever it was going for whereas this yeah it, it presents everything in a very kind of flat you know it kind of it, it feels like you're you're reading a, a very weird like ikea manual or something because it's all just very kind of matter of fact of like yep this is what happens in this panel and this is what happens in this panel and it kind of it, I, I guess this this is kind of the the part of sort of what makes it work as a sort of artistic or kind of thought experiment because it very much leaves the kind of how you feel about it up to you like it's kind of not really trying to influence you one way or the other to say like ah here's what you should feel in this particular panel like uh, it's almost having talked about like our dreams at dusk as, as a very weird comparison point like that that is a series that employs its imagery to to tell you a lot about how you should be feeling in any given moment whereas this is the exact opposite where it tells you nothing about how you should feel and kind of leaves you to evaluate that for yourself and then how you feel about what you feel about that panel is kind of like another layer down of that discussion of like wait shouldn't I feel worse about this or you know what whatever it might be and and you know I I think that is that is what makes it interesting and I do again from that kind of artistic standpoint like I do have sort of a, a fascination with the the weirdness of the human mind as it relates to the human body like it, it, I, I do find it fascinating that the, you know the the fetishes that people can have and kind of the way people can can think about you know their their own bodies and other people's bodies and you know all of that stuff and there is something interesting in seeing somebody just going all in on that and you know it's certainly it's not something that I say oh yeah read this because it's really entertaining but like you know it's it, it it is kind of a weirdly fascinating thing. I mean, in, in terms of kind of like other sort of, you know, more Western influences, it kind of in parts reminds me of, of kind of stuff like Chuck Palahniuk's writing where, you know, oh. it, it very much goes in some similar directions in terms of like, oh yeah, here's this weird thing and I'm just going to just go all in on this stuff. And like, you know, there's, it, it's kind of, it's certainly stuff that I've seen before elsewhere, but like not not depicted in the degree that, that this uh, this particular volume does it. Yeah, I feel like the one thing that Chuck Palahniuk does um, that kind of kind of puts it sideways of this um, work is that it often has a, a character, usually the protagonist character, who is the one like who is the one sensible person who is reacting quote unquote normally to the situation that has queer, that has very quickly taken them along for a very weird ride i think there was one the one of his books guy read called dairy diary um which was extremely upsetting because just an entire structure of an entire cosmology of pain and suffering is inflicted upon this protagonist character for like for a very flat reason of just oh we need to keep the money flowing it's like what the but yeah i think the one thing as you as you say like and t- like sort of looking at what the work is and you the your reaction to the work and even interrogating that and your reaction is very powerful with Kago's work and especially because I feel like the one thing he raises in particular is the line between like the profane and the sacred like everything is nothing is sacred nothing is profane everything's just on a flat plane it's not there to like go oh look gore it's more just yes this person has gore because they cut themselves for weird reason x that is a thought experiment i have taken to its logical conclusion like there's that one there's a one story about a girl who is basically collecting all the things that the boy she likes touches um which I feel like in the end it kind of comes a cropper because it find, tries to find a way to end itself in a comedic fashion and it ends up with her arguing with her dad about fin- starting and never finishing collections. Um, but that 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 entire storyline goes to some really dark places. Um, and if you follow, if you are following Kago's train of thought, you can see it from the get-go and you think, oh, maybe it won't go that far. Oh, no, it's gone that far. Crap. This is kind of disgusting. <laughs> So. Yeah, yeah. And and again, I, I think that's some of the, the interesting stuff in this volume that's clearly kind of, you know, uh, putting a very weird lens to kind of, you know, consumerism and society as a whole. Like, I mean, the very first story in this volume is kind of, you know, uh, poking fun at, at kind of, you know, idol culture and the idea of kind of perfection and beauty and kind of, you know... Th- 
basically holding that up as a manufactured conceit like you know that's that's kind of actually pretty strong sort of starting block to to the whole to the whole book and then yeah like you say you know the the whole kind of collection thing is is pretty obviously kind of you know a a, a dig at sort of you know consumer culture and and the way you know people are are, are kind of you know bought into this idea of, of having to obsessively collect things and, and again just taking it to a, a very unnatural kind of conclusion so you know some of that stuff is it's kind of like on the nose on one level but then you know it does have a lot of other stuff to work with as well but uh yeah like some of that stuff also then does become kind of uncomfortable in in some of these stories because again the, the abortion one you mentioned like i I felt like I was getting a read that I was not particularly happy with about what the surface level kind of you know discussion that the that the artist was having on that one and like there are definitely a couple of of stories in here where I'm kind of like is this if you're saying what I think you are kind of on a baseline level I'm not really into that um so there are definitely like it's it's definitely not one of those things where you can nod along be like oh yes I agree with what you're saying on all of these because some of them feel like they're kind of contentious when you dig into them yeah some of the storylines I mean especially because most of the characters are like you know pretty girls which is one of the things that's called out in the title like in the actual front page but sometimes it's like oh you're either making an actual point here that's just dressed up in very shocking attire or you're just a misogynist and this is all a cover for you being weirdly misogynistic with a weird point attached, which is kind of undercut by the fact that you are doing this like quite intense violence on people. Like fake people, obviously, in a storyline, but then it's like, oh, this is quite easily one step away from just being out and out misogynist because of that. That's, yeah. those are the characters you are using for this lens. Yeah, and 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 I think that that was kind of one of the problems that that I kind of wrestled with as I got deeper and deeper into this book is that when I kind of saw what what seems to be the the kind of the worldview of of some of these stories kind of then started to creep into and color some of the others where you know it started to kind of change my perception as you say to be like wait are you is this is this just you being misogynist or kind of you know having some very strange kind of opinions on on women as a whole and yeah like again it's it's part of what makes it interesting because you know it it is something that you know you could write a book about this stuff um but at the same time yeah there there are certainly I, i reached a point after some of those stories where i kind of started to look back at at my notes and kind of what i'd already read and been like eh, maybe there's another read to this that i am less comfortable with and uh yeah like it it's is interesting but yeah it is also kind of a little discomforting when you kind of reach that point and think ah maybe yeah maybe a a lot of this is being overthought and actually maybe what you're actually saying in some of these stories is is far less kind of uh, salubrious than we might have otherwise hoped yeah i think the main thing is to the mate as we talked about before like this is an interest this is a this is definitely an interesting read if you can stomach it but also is interesting to like keep several levels of thinking cap on of thinking about your own process and what you're doing what you think about it which is perhaps almost the most interesting part of it is just the multiple tiers of like what what is being said here like what's going on so yeah it's but at the same time it is quite trying um to read um as i say don't read it in one block because that will wear you out yeah yeah for, for sure like i mean i i read it all on mass and you know i i'm very much not a squeamish person as long as you stay away from the eyes then i get squeamish um but like yeah even here there were points where i was just like oof this is uh this is this is quite a lot and uh yeah like you know it's it, it is very much on the 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 absolute kind of knife edge with with no pun intended of kind of you know uh, of what is is kind of what most people can stomach i suspect because uh yeah it, it really really does go places yeah i think the most i think the biggest saving grace for many of the stories is that i think the longest is like 16 or 18 pages like it kind of you know uh, a few of the stories perhaps outstay their welcome by a grand total of one or two pages but they're not part of like an overarching sort of concept it's just short sharp jabs i think one of the one of my one of the more interesting and sort of weird ones at the end which actually kind of goes to a negative space almost is invis which is a grand total of seven pages and was an interesting concept set up in two pages 
then like a weird storyline and then and then we have an even stranger denouement at the last page and say wait what wait what does this mean like this is a weird story this is a weird point to end on um, yeah yeah i mean that that's kind of like a really good example of, of, of sort of interesting conceit that makes you think about a whole bunch of things that then kind of turns into school playground joke at the end like i'm, I'm i feel like i feel like I've, I've heard this kind of like as some kind of dirty joke when i was a kid somewhere and it's like again like you say a lot of these stories seem to struggle with their ending in that way where it, it tries to kind of laugh it off at the end and sometimes that works but sometimes it also doesn't and you're like eh, I, I i feel like maybe you've kind of done down some of the the, the interesting things that, that you initially brought up with this whole conceit yeah because quite more often than not the like the tenor of the ending is someone making an armpit fart noise and it's like well that doesn't work all the time dude you can't just make an armpit fart noise for every storyline um <laughs> it works more than you it works surprisingly often but not always um, yeah yeah indeed but yeah so that's um I'm, i mean i'm kind of i'm kind of all spoken out i mean as i say like the one thing as i say about kago's art is that it's he's clearly a person of some talent in drafting but also is extremely like strict on his it's also the fact that like a lot of it seems extremely freehand and so you know characters will look slightly off kilter which suits the slightly demented style of it all well um but you know it's very sort of loose and sort of slightly sweaty i suppose is the way i put it um yeah yeah but uh yeah it's definitely like you know i this is very much on, on the kind of list of like yeah I'm, I'm glad i read this and like again kind of looking at it mostly just from an, an artistic point of view you know i i think it is it is an interesting work but you know if you're just looking for something to entertain you and certainly if you're looking for something to read on the train no not not this one yeah i'm glad i don't have a physical version of this that my mum might accidentally find and then immediately faint um <laughs> i mean to be fair she'd probably laugh at half of it because she's totally fine with gore but um but yeah i mean i think it's at the very least i'm glad that um something of kago's is available i mean other things have been released by kago like dementia 21 and when he was doing a zine um i forget the name of it he was also out on kobo and kindle and such and so it's nice to see an easily digestible part of his works available like rather than trying to publish one of his long-running series which would probably be quite a big ask and a lot to stomach both from the publisher and reader point of view i think having a series of like thought experiment like grab you and run one shots is probably the easiest thing you can release of his oeuvre that is easy to get in people's hands and go hey this is kind of a a a collection and like and also one thing of of note is that at the end of the book there's the author's notes and a lot of it is just like almost like the writing equivalent of a shrug of like yeah i guess (laughs) i wrote this thing um so yeah kind of weird yeah yeah i mean i i forget which story it was but there, there's one in particular that i kind of enjoy it's like yeah I, this porn magazine like asked me to make a manga for them but they didn't tell me that it didn't have to be gross and weird so i just made my usual stuff yeah. and it's like you you kind of you, you suspect there's some kind of commissioning editor there that just got fired from that magazine instantly it's like oh no i made a terrible mistake or the commissioning editor got one over on his boss and was like ah, owned <laughs> check out this shit. yeah yeah <laughs> But yeah, um, but certainly, certainly very engaging. It will not leave you indifferent, is the phrase, I believe. <laughs> yes, yes, I think uh, that's that's the one for the the back of the book. Yeah. Ugh. So yeah, that's um, and I showed anything else, Andy. That's super dimensional love gun. No, I think uh, I think that's it from me on that one. Cool. So moving on, um, what we're going to be reading for next episode. Um, so this is another case where um, something I was thinking about putting on the list has been stolen by Andy. Um, so Andy, what have you picked for us? Uh, yeah, so uh, around the time we'll be recording and releasing our next podcast uh, would have been the birthday of uh, Satoshi Kon, the uh, the incredibly talented uh, anime director who's also a manga artist. And so um, I've picked Satoshi Kon's opus for the next show, which uh, I have. It's a rarity for me because it's actually something that I have read before, um, but I've been dying to talk about it for ages. And uh, commemorating Mr. Kon's birthday seemed like as good a time as any to do it. Yeah, we talked about this um, this manga on a previous um, podcast. We were on and even back then i promised i'd read the damn thing so you've got me dead to rights this time hanley Um, (laughs) fantastic 
and I have picked something a little more mundane. Um, it is the manga called Queen Bee, which is actually quite a new thing. It's just come out. It's a so far one volume. It's a romantic comedy um, where the main character um, basically looks really, really scary, and um, she decides she would like to try and confess to the boy she likes, and things go badly, but then very well. So hooray! Um, I quite like it because it's you know mostly told from the girl's point of view and i kind of like this whole awkward romance sort of angle to it um so we're reading volume one of that cool. um yeah so uh moving on to the close down um, we have a website screentone.club i have recently updated our list of um series we have read to also include the returning champions links so check that out from link to from the site um, if you like the podcast, please consider telling a friend. Um, that's really the easiest and best way that podcasts grow um, and people find out and listen, which would be really lovely. As a quick note, um, we, Andy and I will both be at Hibanacon, um, which actually I think has nearly finished selling out. So maybe grab one of the last few tickets if you want to see, come see a live version of the podcast. I probably should have been pimping that months ago. Whoops. Um, but yeah, if you fancy, come along and you can bug us in person. It'll be fun. We're not scary. I promise. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Screen Tone Club. And also you can email us at show at screentone.club. Someone, as I mentioned before, someone has actually emailed us, but I haven't read the email yet. I've been too scared. Um, <laughs> and also, as mentioned, it's going to be releasing on the 1st of October, hopefully. Um, and so patrons will be um, on the lookout to vote again for another series for us to review in the bonus episodes. Um, personal plugs. My name is Elliot Page. You can find me at Elliot Page on Twitter. And I'm going to be sadly bereft of cat pictures because I am now 300 miles away from where they live. And Andy, how about you? Uh, yes, you can find me on Twitter at Hannah's1979. Thank you, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening and good night. Bye, everyone. <laughs>